I want to eventually go to a place where parents like, okay, it's okay. My kid does not have a college degree. That's what I want it to be. Normalize. If someone wants to go to college, good for them. That's their choice. But if someone doesn't want to go to college, good for them too. Both should be seen as equally valid ways to do well in life. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. So welcome to the 100th episode of the No Degree Podcast. I had to think long and hard of who I had to make the guest. And I thought, why not make this episode about the company and the journey? So the guest is me, your host, Janet Iqbal. And I wanted to have none other than Hannah Katus as the person, as the host who asked me questions because she's been an integral part of the No Degree journey. And I couldn't have done it without her. So what's up, Hannah? Let's go. Hey, Janaid. Thanks for having me. How are we going to start this thing? What do you want me to ask you? You're the host. I, I'm not supposed to decide <laughs> what you ask me. You you go. You go. You talk about what you want. Okay, so tell me about yourself. Who is Janaid Iqbal? What do you do? I'm just someone who wants to make a difference. One of the reasons I love NoDegree.com is I get to really impact you know, people. I get to impact the space. And I get to actually change things. Because I remember I started this in April 2014. And there weren't all these boot camps and there weren't all these things. And the journey for someone without a degree was much harder, right? There weren't as many online courses. There weren't a lot of resources. And it wasn't as acceptable. There weren't as many stories of those without degrees, right? You had the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, and these other people, but they were the exception. There weren't as many regular people who who have done it or they were much harder to find. Now they're so much easier to find. You have so many boot camps. You have all these things technology has increased. So I'm so glad that I've been a part of this journey and it's only become easier for those without degrees. How did you go about deciding, okay, I'm going to start this company? What made you go, oh, no one's helping out people without college degrees. I'm going to try and do something about that. Yeah. So I was on Reddit and this was eight years ago. So it's crazy. Eight years ago, April 2014. Someone asked, those of you without a college degree who make over six figures, what do you do and how do you get the job? And the jobs are like, I'm a claims adjuster. I'm a surveyor. I'm an elevator technician. I repaired this random machine part. And I was like, okay, nobody thinks about becoming an elevator tech when they grow up. People don't think about becoming a claims adjuster. They don't think about getting these random certifications. And it was like, how'd you get the job? It was like my uncle, my cousin, my friend, a neighbor. It was all right place at the right time. And I was thinking about there are so many hardworking people who can do these jobs. They just don't know they exist. I think you and I both know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And you and I both know that there are so many jobs like, wow, I didn't know that job existed, right? All you know are doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, and a couple of jobs when you grow up and they tell you, oh, you got to become this. And then us as kids, we don't really think about like adults and the jobs they do. We just know they work. They go, they come home and you see them on the weekends or at parties and that's it. So I was like, why can't I be that uncle, cousin or friend? Why can't I be the one making the difference? So I searched up trades.com and it was for sale. But I know at that time it was definitely a six-figure domain. Now it's definitely worth millions. So I searched up nodegree.com and I saw it was for sale. I put an inquiry in. I didn't put any price. I didn't expect anything back. I got an email. I never responded. And then I got another email saying, hey, we're willing to sell you the domain for 1800 bucks about. And I was like, oh. So I called, you know, a couple of my friends. And then one of my friends was like, all right, we can get this domain. They're both like, okay. And then we can get this domain. Now he was like, well, we can negotiate. So we eventually bought it for 1433 And yeah, the rest is history. It's been a long road since then. What do you think the current job market is like and the education system? Is it catered to people without degree? Is it kind of turning, changing towards that earlier? You spoke a bit about that in terms of, you know, like back in 2014, the barrier to entry was much, it was much more difficult for people without college degrees to 
to like enter the job market and to earn a decent living, you know, not just get a job because like anyone can work at McDonald's. No, I think it's like the education system and job seeking. Job seeking is crazy lately because just the great resignation and all that technology companies have made so much money. And as a result, they are paying a lot of money. And as a result, other people are moving into technology. So other industries are struggling because in order for people to attract people, they need to pay money because I've seen crazy things where there's these salaries, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600K. And these are salaries that you're never going to make in certain industries. So you're having salaries that are way higher, double, triple the ceiling of other industries. Why wouldn't you go? And I'm not, these are not necessarily people who are executive levels, right? Some of these people are just reasonable, you know? They have somewhere around five to 15 years experience. They weren't necessarily the richest and they worked their way up reasonably through their skills. So that's one thing that I love about the job force, that there's so many ways to upskill and there's so many more job search communities now more than ever. Now, the education system, I'm, there are a lot of changes, but with education, there's always a slow change, right? Because you still have a lot of parents that if you tell them, hey, I'm not going to college, they have some hesitation. They're like, oh, what are you going to do? Parents, they come from a different generation, right? They come from different jobs that did well. They, they give advice from their experience, but they didn't grow up with mobile phones. They didn't grow up with online courses. Even my parents, they have no idea what I do. They think like, what are you doing? Like, are you just talking to random people online? Like, you tell your parents like, hey, I, I, I stream and people watch me online. And to them, that's a different concept, right? Even I was talking to, to my girlfriend and she told her grandma that she worked from home. And then her grandma was like, does she even really work? Do they pay you? And it's a different generation, right? You have different generations. So a lot of things have changed. And I do think education is changing. It's there are much more things accessible. There are a lot more coding classes. There are a lot more books. A lot of kids are reading. They have access to these online things. So I, I do think there's been some progress, but it does take time. And I do think a lot of the progress has to be from family members, internal communities, and parents, right? Parents play a big role. But I see a lot of kids at 17 to 19 year olds, they're already set up for success. But it's only because they have parents who support them and are educating them on careers. So earlier mentioned upskilling. How important is that in terms, especially for a person that doesn't have a college degree? You have to upskill. Because if you don't have a college degree, a lot of times there's a truth. You won't get the benefit of the doubt. Right? If you went to Harvard in the 1980s, people were like, oh, you went to Harvard. You went to Columbia. You went to XYZ. They give you a benefit of the doubt. Right? They just assume you're smarter. Now, the thing is, you have to upskill because technology grows so fast. Like, think about this video call that we're doing right now. This is not something that was really common, you know, five, six, seven years ago, right? Think about how podcasts have grown. Think about all these things and how they have grown. So as they have grown, so, ha so has the demand for the skills associated with this, right? Like, think about how many, like, you are... I guess one of the terms is online business manager, right? We're using a tool called Slack. We use monday.com. So these are skills that are necessary if you want to be competitive or else you're, it's just not. So it's essential. You have to because the times are changing. Technology is changing. The needs of people are changing. You're getting connected to so many people. And if you don't upskill, you're just going to get left behind. I see these people, they're so stuck to, hey, this is how it was done. And I'm not saying don't have some principles related to how things were done in the past, but you also have to adapt to a changing environment. And if you don't, you're simply just going to not be as efficient. True. So in terms of adapting, you've interviewed up until this point, you have interviewed over, well, this is the 100th episode. So you've interviewed yeah. 99 people so far with college degrees. What are, are like the top three to five skills do you, have you observed from, you know, among all these people that you've interviewed? If you tell me about three to five, I'm going to say communication is one of the top. And regardless of what you do in your career, you have to be able to communicate and you have to be able to work with others. It's something that people will assume you have a college degree if your communication skills are good and they end up shocked like, oh, you don't have a degree. You don't have a degree. I'm so surprised. I think networking 
super underrated skill that if someone knows you and they know the value you bring, they don't necessarily care about your background. They rely on your background when they don't know you. Like if you don't know someone, you're going to kind of look at their background to figure out. So networking is essential. I've seen people get great jobs, great, great deals. Sales, in terms of you're always selling yourself. You're always kind of doing that in different capacities. So you have to know sales. The ability to learn and be curious, you always have to be learning. So being able to teach yourself, being able to learn is one of those just extremely, extremely underrated skills. And the other thing, they don't mention it directly, but it's negotiation. You're always negotiating that you're always negotiating something and you're always negotiating whether it's the job, whether it's the deal, putting yourself in a position. So you're always having to negotiate. And again, that goes with being know, knowing how to communicate and knowing the value you bring to the table. That makes sense. Since I've listened to most of the episodes as well, and one of the things you mentioned earlier being adaptability, I feel like that's one of the top skills that most people without college degrees also have. Because they have to learn on their feet. You know, they, they didn't have a professor to teach them what to do and what not to do. So they learn from experience, um, learn from their failures. And adaptability seems to be one of the things um, I've observed, to, you know, among all of these people that you've spoken about. Um, one of the things that, what you just said reminds me of too is this um, guy, Al- Alvin Toffler. He once said that the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I feel like that is one of, like, that is such an integral skill. Like you mentioned, in this day, day and age of technology, we have to be adaptable. We have to be willing to learn and forget things that we learn because like so much has changed 10 years ago, you know? So that has to, that has to be an important part of your skill set. If you want to success, if you want to succeed in this, you know, job market today. Yeah. Because think about it. If you asked me eight years ago, would I ever start a podcast? I would have been like, what's a podcast? Really? How would I do it? I can find guests online. But throughout my journey, I've always learned new things and I've been able to use what I've learned before to kind of go to the next step. And then I've had to throw out some things, right? I have to throw out some misconceptions and we'll be doing things five, 10 years from now that are very different. And I'll have to keep on going back to some of my old skills, but I'll also have to throw some things out because Yes, while some fundamentals apply to online communication, some other things don't. And it's about being adaptable. And you know, it's funny. I'll go back. If you look at my older report cards and I have one in the second grade and it says that I talk too much. That was always the complaint (laughs) that I talk too much in class. And it's just funny that now it's like that's a core part of what makes no degree go. That's a core part of what makes me money, right? Since Uh I'm doing resumes and doing these workshops. Sometimes I'm talking to people eight to 10 hours a day. And the beautiful thing is, is I don't necessarily find it draining. Yes, I do need sleep and all that, but uh-huh. it's not mentally and emotionally draining. And I just wish I knew about the, this. I wish I knew about this for myself a long time ago because I definitely would have done things a lot more differently. What would you have done different? I probably would have became an entrepreneur much earlier. Like I was always an entrepreneur, right? So I used to, tutor in high school. I used to try different things in college and I definitely would have chose a different track, right? I didn't know I was going to go down this route. I thought I was going to get a job. I was going to save money. I was going to invest and be okay. I I chose to major in math and I probably would have maybe double majored or something. Um, but I probably would have majored in computer science or something like that if I did do it. Or because look, as much as I'm all about no degree. I, my parents would have murdered me. I'm talking about actually <laughs> my parents would have murdered me if I did not get a degree. But if I had the option, I definitely would not have gone. And it, it also gave me a lot of uh, perspective of those with degrees and those who don't have degrees. Okay. So you went to college. Tell me about that. 
what qualifications you have. I know you have two. You have a bachelor's and master's degree. So I majored in math in undergrad. I was actually a really good student. Like I was school. I was always a good student, right? I was the one who like finished first. I was competing to finish first on the exams. I always did well um, in the majority of my subjects. Uh, and then, you know, I won awards in my undergrad. I went to Columbia University and got my master in actual science. So I definitely would have changed that. You know, I definitely would not have done that. And I probably would have became an entrepreneur right after I graduated. Because again, that caused issues in terms of uh, I had loans and all that stuff that took time. I definitely would have done that differently. But it gave me a big revelation. Because when I went to Queens College is like a city school. So you get a lot of commuters. So you, you kind of see people from your demographic, people from your income class and all that. Now, at Columbia, these kids were rich. Like, I'm talking about like, they don't have to worry about money. Their parents are paying three to $5,000 a month for rent, sometimes even more. They don't, they don't have like, they'll go to Paris for spring break, you know, for a few days. They just well, don't balling. have the same worry. Yeah, they're balling. Well, it's, they're balling all in their parents' money. It's not their own money. Right? So they don't have the same struggles. You know, their parents literally start companies for them and hire people and put them as like a director role. Right? So they basically are cheating in life. And I have no problem saying that. And what I realized is, yes, they're, look, they're not necessarily bad people. They're good in school, but they've always, a lot of them, majority of them had a leg up in life. And if you want to check the statistics, you can kind of see that like close to 80% of the school comes from like a very upper middle class background or higher, right? Only a small percentage ever comes from an underprivileged background. And then, you know, I kind of realized that a lot of people without degrees, it's not like they're incapable of going to school. Some of them just don't have the support system, right? If you had someone paying $5,000 a month for rent, giving you a monthly budget of $3,000, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about, you don't have the same stresses, right? Your stress is like, oh, what, what do I wear? Do I buy this shirt for 200 bucks or do I buy this? You don't have the same worries. You don't have the same struggles. And you don't have the same barriers. Oh, you don't get this job. Who cares? You're going to, you could wait. For someone without a degree, you don't get this job. It's like, oh crap, I needed this job. I needed that. That's going to get me out of this. That's going to be, that's going to help me take care of my brother. That's going to help me take care of my family and all that. So it helped me really gain a lot of perspective. And again, it also made me realize that school favors a certain type of individual. It favors a certain type of learner. If you are not that type of learner, you won't do good in school. That does not mean you're a bad learner. It just means you're not necessarily the test taker. You're not necessarily the person who can listen to someone lecture, right? School doesn't favor someone who builds, someone who likes, you know, a, little, a more creative person, someone who needs more hands-on learning, right? It, there are certain, right, if you have ADHD, right, it's much, it's tough to pay attention for a three-hour lecture. I realize that, like, who school favors and who school doesn't favor, but unfortunately, society also looks down upon the people who don't do well in school. And this is a worldwide thing, right? This is not only in yeah, the U.S. In fact, outside the U.S., they tend to look down on you even more oh, yeah. because oftentimes education is your only shot at even getting something. Yep. And it's just totally unfair. And then, you know, right now, no degree is focused on the U.S., but, you know, the advice is universal, but I do eventually want to expand to other countries and kind of show that, hey, look, online learning is really going to change a lot. I, like, could understand 100%, like, Outside of the U.S., it's even harder for those of us that are in our audience that don't know me. I live in Central America and Belize, and I have seen that. You know, I grew up with that. My dad has always made minimum wage. My mom, um, she also made minimum wage when she did work. And it's just, it's a lot harder. And people just use it to take advantage of you. You know, just the other day, um, I found out this uh, high school graduate started helping out someone, you know, tutoring their grandkid, <laughs> right? And so, you know, and I was like, so how much are you charging per hour? And it was like $5. And I'm like, and they're paying you $5 per hour. Granted, the person that they had tutoring him, their kid before that, they were paying that person more, you know. And I'm like, but these people know better. They're going to give you $5 per hour. 
That doesn't make any yeah. sense. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. So, has there, has anyone ever been like, well, you know what, Janine, you have a college degree, and so I don't think you can help people that don't have a degree because you don't like you don't know about this life type thing. Has anyone ever told you that? People will ask me that, and then I kind of tell them like, "Hey, I understand the plight that people go through, and you know, I've talked to people, I've worked with all types of people, I've kind of seen it." So most people tend to be pretty supportive. Like, hey, you know what? Thank you for doing this, right? All my guests, they're like, hey, I wish I met someone like you. Like, they don't care about my background. They care more about what I do. So that's what I love about people without degrees. They're so supportive. All they care about is just supporting. Hey, cool. You're doing something. You're doing to help people like me. You know, I made it. I want to give back. So that's one thing I love about the community. So I haven't got that criticism too much. That's cool. I think it's it gives you leverage in a way because you know what it's like on the other side. And so you can use, you know, your background of working in corporate and, you know, people you know and even, you know, your college experience. You can use all of those experience and the skills you've gotten along the way to help people that don't have degrees where they're not getting these skills because no one's teaching them. Um, so you can kind of help put them on the, you know, redirect them, so to speak. And look, I, I come, I have a different perspective. I've seen it. I've seen how there are certain ways it's benefited me and I've seen ways it has not benefited me, right? I realize just like people like to say that it's this thing that's going to just change your life. But it's like, at the end of the day, the most important lessons I've ever learned have been outside the classroom. And that's something that's, I talk to most people, right? For people who are self-learners, this classroom can only ever teach you so much. And I know I'm going to keep learning, right? I've been out of school, whatever, a while. Well, actually, I officially graduated in 2020, but I haven't set foot in the classroom. But even really? out, when I was in... 2020? Yeah I, yeah, I officially graduated from my master in 2020. I graduated undergrad in 2013. But I didn't sit foot in a classroom since like 2017. Wow. In, you know, something like that. because. I had to negotiate my graduation and stuff. Some things. I took all the credits and stuff. But that's why negotiation is important. Like I said before, one of the most important skills. So negotiation and not having your parents pay for your degree. Like Aunt Becky did. Yeah, unfortunately. my Well, I guess fortunately. My, my parents did not pay for my degree. I still owe a lot of money on my degree. So trust me, I'm feeling that. And I have felt that for a while. It's money that I would have rather invested into the business and all that. So, you know, I wish I knew earlier, but what can you do? That's life. What do you think are some barriers to entry for people that want to further their education beyond high school? I think the biggest barrier is that family is sometimes often a barrier in some ways because they have a perception of what it means to be successful. I've met certain people, just, even like me, like I had, I didn't have the option of not going to college, right? It's just like, I couldn't. I know that was when my father was younger. He had more energy. You know, now he's older, you know, but he had more, this is what, like 13 years ago, he would have beat me. And I know that. And I know I would not have been able to live at home and all that stuff. So, you know, it was kind of a trade-off. I get to live at home, grow my business, you go to college, right? Uh, other barriers are, especially with the rise of social media, and you know this personally, a lot of times these people get preyed upon. That these people, oh, make so much money on Amazon, make so much money doing this, start an agency, it's so easy. And, you know, you and I have both sort of done it in different capacities. It's not easy to sort of run a business. It's not just, hey, email a thousand people, you know, five people sign up, charge them 10K a month. It's like, it's not that easy, right? These people are all selling you dreams. So there's so many things online that is information overload that you have to kind of look for the right information. And that's why, you know, the No Degree team, we try to make sure that we lead people to the right resources that are affordable, right? Because I've seen people who are paying 500 for something and I've seen the same people pay 5,000 for the same exact thing. And it's like, that's a lot of money. That's, a, you know, people get ripped off. So that's, one thing that causes barriers. You still have to fight perception of a lot of people. You know, it's still a problem today. As, you know, as much as things change, there's still a lot of progress that needs to be done. Companies say, hey, we're more open to this. We're more open to this. But the fact is, one of the ways a lot of people get jobs are referrals. 
And one of the ways people get referrals, they look for alumni of their school. If you did not go to college, which alumni are you going to reach? And how are you going to reach out to someone without a degree? Because you're searching for an absence of something. You can search. You can go on LinkedIn. You can search for people who graduate school. How do you search from someone who has not graduated? Right? You have to manually go through things. You have to manually look for someone and, and then you have to reach out. So that's one barrier that people face. And then the other thing is a lot of times these big companies are filled with people from the Ivy League. They've filled from people from certain schools. They go to recruiting fair. If you don't have a degree, where are you going to find them? You have to go through back roads. You have to go through nonprofits, which are not easily found. So that's another challenge. And then the perception. These people from Harvard, these people, a lot of them, they come from rich backgrounds. They don't even understand why someone doesn't go to college. They don't understand your struggle. They don't understand what it means to go hungry. They don't understand what it means to not own a house and rent all your life. They don't understand that, hey, I have to take care of my parents and I'm screwed that I have to succeed because my parents did not plan properly. They don't understand that. So these are other big barriers, right? Because there's so many systemic issues that people without degrees face that a lot of people with degrees do not have because they've had a certain lifestyle and a certain support all their life. And that's not saying that everybody with degrees had this, but a lot of people who are in these positions tend to come from more privileged backgrounds. And then the people who are not from privileged backgrounds, they do a lot to help, but they're fighting against the system, right? If you're the only person without a degree, you have to convince them, hey, I want to hire this kid. And I've seen it where they, people had to say, and other people had to vouch for them, like, no, they don't have a degree, but they can do the work. So they have to go through extra hurdles to get the same positions. So earlier you mentioned that how the education system is more catered to a certain type of learner. You know, what are some ways you feel like the current education system can be improved or changed to accommodate people that learn differently or to accommodate people that have, you know, different challenges for whatever reason? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because it's like, Money is a big thing, right? Because funding of schools and all that stuff. And especially in the U.S., teachers are not respected, right? Compared to other countries, like, I, I don't know how it is in Belize, but in Bangladesh, it's India... It's the same you, thing. Like, okay, they're not respected in Belize? Not not really. They're still paid. They're based, It's like the same thing. They're not paid enough. They have to use a lot of their resources, their own personal finance resources, to do things yeah. for their students. There's, yeah. after you're done teaching, you know, preparation and all of that. So you're basically still working, yeah. No, but what I mean respect is, in the U.S., if I disrespect my teachers, my parents would have a feel like I would be in so much trouble. So I'm talking about more from the respect from the students because yes, I agree teachers do all that, but I know it's, it's especially bad in the U.S. that they're not respected as professionals. Like, the te- does that happen in Belize where the students don't necessarily listen to the teacher? It's kind of getting there. Oh, it's kind of, yeah. It's, you see, the thing is, Belize is so influenced and a lot of like Caribbean countries are so influenced by Western culture. So like we're kind of playing catch up. So in when I was younger and when my mom was younger, if you did something bad at school and, you know, your teacher disciplined you for it, you better not go and tell your mom home because then you're going to get it double, (laughs) you know, something like that. But now it's kind of changing where it is becoming where the kid doesn't pass for whatever reason and parents would show up yelling at the teacher, like, why isn't my kid passing and stuff like that? When it's like, well, you're not helping your kid with the homework, you know, at home, like you're not doing your part as a parent and all of that. So Unfortunately, we're kind of catching up in that regard. Yeah. And I think that's a bad, that's bad because it's like, look, I think we need the attitude towards school needs to change. Right. And I think, okay, you can still have grades, but I think the grades should not emphasize everything. And I think there needs to be a lot of help for people who learn differently. And I think you need to really have a lot of extra resources for people who are non traditional learners. Right? You, I think you need to have more class options for people who learn differently. And I think teachers need to get more freedom because I've seen a lot of teachers just leaving the industry that are like, look, I don't want to do this. Right, I came here to make a difference. Because a lot of teachers are very well-intentioned. Right, They want to make a kid difference. Right, it, People don't become teachers to become rich. Right, If you want to become rich, you don't become a teacher. You become something else. So people have, teachers have good hearts and all that 
So we need to kind of give teachers more support. Um, online learning has really changed a lot. So kids have to take advantage. Ah, these kids are so lucky. Like online school, man, I would have... I would have done well. I would have slept extra. I would have had some things. But I think we need to have just more diversity in learning. Like some classes should be catered towards like, hey, these are people who are great at test taking. We're going to challenge them in different ways. These are people who are not great at test testing. We're going to kind of focus on different things with them. And just expanding the traditional subjects and all that. And again, it's so hard to give one solution because I don't want to be like, hey, I know how to solve the problem. It's so complex. Yeah, that's teaching true. different people. And a lot of it has to come from even educating the parents because a lot of times I feel like a lot of the parents are just saying, okay, they're at school, they're your problem. But it's like a school can only amplify what you're already doing at home. If you're sort of pulling them back in, or holding them back in other ways, the school can only do so much. Yeah. Tough problem to solve. Yeah. And again, you solve little bits and pieces. And I think just having a lot of resources. I mean, there are a lot of resources now just for people with ADHD, people with just different types of learning, the neurodiverse community. I encourage people to listen to podcasts because one of the things is I've learned so much about myself throughout the years. And it's like, if I knew this like a couple years earlier, I would have been so much more productive. But it's like, how would I have learned it, right? I would have needed to learn from an adult. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I learned it from random corners of the internet. And unfortunately, my parents are immigrant parents. It was just like, study, 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 get good grades. Why? Oh, you got a 95. Well, this kid got a 98. I grew up with that. So they, again, they did the best they could given what knowledge they had. So a lot of it has to come from like parents just learning as much as they can and just being open to understanding their kids. And it's not easy. Understanding people is, it's hard. So that's the reason why going to college was so important for your parents because they immigrated to the U.S. Yeah, you know, like people ain't crossing, you know, taking a plane, leaving their life to not, you know, that's why they did that. And then you have to think about the time that they did it. My parents grew up in a different time where the only people who succeeded had college degrees, right? My dad was born in like, what, 1956, my mom was born in 1966. So they're, they're becoming adults, you know, in, their, in the 90s, right? They had me in the night. I was born in 91. Now, if you think about it, that's a different time, right? Online learning doesn't exist. Yeah. Cell phones are some ridiculous big boxes that you only see in the movies, <laughs> right? Yeah. We had video cassettes. The internet was something totally different. So you needed a centralized resource for learning at that time. And college was more affordable. It was actually more reasonable. Now, college tuition has just gone crazy. It's totally different. And things are changing. And again, big institutions take long times to adapt. And now companies are slightly adapting. They're having more program. But a lot, there's still a lot that needs to be done. So far, you know, since 2014, when you, you know, yeah. started the company, what made you decide to, okay, I'm going to, start a podcast instead of like writing a blog or something, you know, because yeah. that's how a lot of people started out here. You know, yeah. it was blogs. So what made you go like the podcast route? So we do have a blog for those of you who don't know. It does exist. I hope a lot of you read it. But you know, I listen to podcasts so much. Like I started listening to podcasts. I quit my job in 2018. I'll listen to podcasts because I drive... What can I do when I drive? I can listen to radio where I don't learn anything or I can listen to podcasts. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm driving an hour. I don't care. I have two podcasts I can listen to. And I learned so much. I'm talking about any topic that I wanted to learn, I could learn. And I, I just got deeper. I learned about business. I learned about different social media tactics, negotiation, sales. And I learned so much. And then I was thinking, well, I could launch a podcast. Because, again, there's so many people without degrees, I could talk to them. And I was thinking, like, that could be an organic way that I could have great conversations with great people. I could grow the No Degree Band. You could always write a blog around it and podcasts were growing. And then, you know, I just thought about, oh, eventually I could interview celebrities. Eventually I could interview people who are the CEOs of big companies. And... There was just so much possibility. And I was like, look, I could grow it. And 
the other thing is I could talk about a topic and then share the episode with people. Because what happens is I get asked a lot of the same questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I become this? And while I do want to have one-to-one conversations with everybody, that just isn't feasible because there are way more people that need help than I can physically help with one-on-one or even in group sessions. Now I could share an episode. Someone wants to be a programmer. Go listen to this episode. Someone wants to work in sales. Go listen to this episode. And again, I get to still have that conversation. I just don't physically have to be there. So many people ask me, how do I prepare for an interview? Cool. Episode number three. How do you prepare for an interview? Saves me a lot of time. And then look, if people want to use me for my time, they can pay me one-on-one. But it just gives another avenue to just share so much info. And you know what? It's so much fun. Like, I'm doing this on a Saturday night and I don't mind. Like, I I enjoy it. I hope you don't mind either, Hannah, since I put you up to this. (laughs) Well, we've kind of been, we've been laughing since we started. So I obviously don't mind. Um, Like you, I enjoy conversations and talking to people and like just learning backstories. I like being able to look at a person and not just, you know, oh, it's not just John. It's, yeah, I see John, but I also know a bit of John's backstory. And so when I look at that person going forward, I also get, like, I also see, you know, like an essence. I think that's a weird explanation, but like I see an essence of the person and like, I just really understand a lot of the things it took for John to be who he is today. Yeah. So that's my um, take on talking to people and learning their backstories and all of that. So, I mean, and you know that from experience too, because a lot of times when we have meetings, it's like not 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, (laughs) yeah, we tend to ramble on. and so I mean, it's mostly me, so my bad. I got to get better at that. But (laughs) I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy having these conversations. It's something I have fun with. I don't consider work. And it's something I could see doing for the rest of my life. Like, I never thought, I would be that person who kind of goes out and live streams, but I enjoy it. I enjoy community. I enjoy that. And I like when other people can benefit from that community. Like it's cool reading the comments on posts, like, hey, you're making a difference. And me being able to just give as much free information to as much people as possible, because I know a lot of people who don't have degrees may not necessarily come from the best background. They may not even have money, right? We've had people on our podcast who are homeless, you know, who came from the worst background, but I can help a kid in Pakistan learn about a story. I can help a kid from Nigeria learn. I can help a kid from Queens, NYC. I can help someone a couple blocks away who knows me, but I don't know them. And they can listen and they can benefit. And that's the beauty of podcasting. I think it really just gives so much access to people all over the world. And the beauty is it's audio. You can listen while walking. You can listen on your morning commute. You can listen at the gym. And so podcasts have changed my life and I hope that I've been able to influence the lives of others through my podcast. Among all the things that I do, you know, on the back end, listening to the stories is like the one of the favorite, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of my job. It's listening to the stories and just learning how, you know, they had these barriers, whether it was their, how they grew up, whether they were homeless or, you know, they just grew up in a rough neighborhood and they had so many hard, uh, tough external influences to resist and all of that. Or um, like with, um, what's his name, Luca, you know, he had anxiety. And so like his personal struggle was just, you know, his mental, mental health and all of that. So just listening to all of these stories and how they over came the challenges and and how they created opportunities for themselves. It's so inspiring. Um, you know, and definitely know people are benefiting. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Every podcast feels like an like it feels like the first. You know, it feels like, hey, I get to interview this cool person and I'm just as excited. Like the stories never ever get old. Like I'm always learning something new. And that, like, it keeps me going. That's good. So I know that one of the things you do, one of the services you provide is resumes. You do um, 
you write resumes and you also do interview, help people prepare for their interviews, right? So what would be like your top three resume tips for for people, especially for people that don't have college degrees? What are like three very important things they should focus on in terms of, you know, their resumes and an interview, but first the resume? Yeah. So formatting, you know, formatting is really important. A lot of companies use special online systems. So that helps. The other thing is formatting is important in that people don't read resumes. They skim them because they're looking at a pile, maybe 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever they're looking at. They're skimming them and they're not going to read every one of them, right? Think about it. You got 100 applications. Let's say it takes you three minutes to read a resume, 100 applications. That's going to be 300 minutes. That's six. What is that? Five hours. They're not going to spend five hours reading it because the fact is a lot of resumes are not good and it looks like a lot of people have not put effort so you want to have a decent format. And, you know, on nodegree.com, we have an article that goes over how to format a resume correctly. And we're coming out with the course too. So feel free to check that out. Now, formatting is easy, but you want to make it easily digestible. You want them to easily see what companies you work at, the titles you had, how long. You want to lay out in a clear and easy, digestible manner. Because you want them to absorb the most amount of info in the least amount of time. Because it's not like, they're going to spend more time on your resume. They're just going to spend the six to 10 seconds. If they like it, they'll spend another 20, 30 seconds. So you want to make sure they can absorb the maximum amount of info that it's easy to skim. Number two is focus on your accomplishments. Focus on giving numbers. I see so many people like, hey, I wrap boxes. Okay, how many boxes did you wrap? Right? If you wrap, you know, and then some people be like, oh, I wrap 800 boxes per day. And it's like, okay. That's, that means you're pretty busy. Then if you read something uh, something on a resume that said wrap boxes, would you think someone wrapped 800 a day? No. People will say, I, tra- I train people. How many? What did you train them on? So give some clarity. Don't necessarily give too much detail, but give the right amount of detail so they have an idea of what, what you did. And think about, did you save time? Did you save money? Did you make something better? How big were the projects? If you talk about how you built houses, did you build, you know, tiny houses for Lego people? Or did you build these big mansions, right? Did you build apartment buildings? What were the budgets associated with it? So those are things, a lot of people, they're not showing it. And I look at a resume, ask them, do you have certain questions? And ask the regular questions because they want to already get an idea of what you've done. So then in the interview, they can get some more details on how did you do this? How did you edit so many articles? How did you rank this website? How did you save $10,000? How did you work on this big project? How did you collaborate with teams? The other thing I would say is study job postings. Figure out what you want to do. Study those job postings. Get an idea. And then figure out, okay, you're going to find a lot of commonalities, right? But focus on a few industries. Like, obviously, if you're looking at marketing and sales and then development, they're going to be very different. But if you look at a lot of developer jobs, if you look at a lot of sales jobs, they're going to ask for the same things. Oh, for sales, collaboration, fixing issues working with the customer. Okay, now give examples and figure out how you did it. And then that's those are the three things. I think people need to really spend time and realize that they bring a lot to the table and then focus on what you have and don't focus on what you don't have. You don't have a degree, who cares? That's that, you can't change it. But focus on what you bring to the table. Focus on the positive things that you've done and let that be your story. One of the other things I'm thinking too, it's interesting because a lot of what you just explained um, you know, like with sales jobs, it's going to be communication. And, you know, if you're working in a, in a customer service, then that's, that's communication as well. So a lot of, well, not a lot of, all jobs involve a lot of soft skills, a lot of soft skills. And you don't necessarily learn these soft skills in school. You don't, because now looking back, I realize a lot of teachers... A lot of teachers were good, but a lot of teachers, I realized they did not have a a lot of, like, you realize that, oh, this teacher had issues, that this teacher wasn't teaching well. And you don't know because you, as kids, you just think adults have it all figured out, that they know everything. But trust me, adults don't have it figured out. And that's something a lot of kids don't know. But yeah, the soft skills go so far that regardless of what you do, if you want to switch industries, you're going to probably switch at some point in your career, some point in your life. The soft skills are what's going to, be able to get you conversations. They're going to help you transfer because 
again, people talk about people working at companies for 40 years. I'm going to tell you most people, unless you find something you absolutely love, that's a terrible thing to do. You want to kind of move. You want to kind of figure out. You want to learn yourself and then kind of, it takes time to figure out yourself. You're not going to figure out yourself in your first job. So you have to pick up these soft skills so that if you want to try something new, you want to try a new industry that you can actually get, you know, break in. So now interview tips. What would be your top three interview tips? Practice saying your answers out loud. So many people don't do this because oftentimes they have an answer in their head, but they haven't said it out loud. So... It's like acting, right? People think like, yeah, I could act. I can do this. And you actually go. You're like, um, blah, 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 blah. It's not easy. So practicing your answers out loud. Because people look at, if you look at comedians, professional speakers, they look so eloquent. They look so good. But they don't realize that they probably practice that thing like 20, 30 times before they present in front of a big audience. Now, you don't need to practice 20, 30 times. But a few times will make you come across as much more natural. Because people who come across as natural do well in the interview. But to come across as natural, it's actually unnatural. You actually have to practice. Anybody who looks natural, you look at Olympians, they look so elegant when they swim and they look so elegant in their movement, but they practice so much. So practice saying your answers out loud. The other thing is understand your value and understand what you bring to the table. I think so many people focus on other people. They focus on, oh, this person has this. But the fact is, is that the universe of what you don't have will always be bigger than the universe of what you have. You can't control other people. You can control yourself. So realize that if you get called to an interview that you probably belong there, right? Because they're not usually going to call someone who's not qualified. And know yourself. Know what you bring to the table. Know your skills. Then the other thing is practice the questions, right? Yes, you practice a lot, but look at the questions. Because so many times people get so scared and all that. And it's because they're not preparing, right? They're not thinking about all these questions. And I've worked with a lot of people. And once they kind of look at the questions, they realize, okay, you know what? I can answer these. It's familiar. And it's not that nerve-wracking. So there's a science to it. But practicing your answers out loud, realize that you belong there, and focus on what you bring to the table, right? And if you spend good time on your resume, you should know a lot of things that you should share. So, and then... One thing I would say is know your top five skills. Know the five things that, hey, I'm good at learning. I'm very adaptable. I'm good at programming. I'm good at leading teams. And have two to three examples for each. This way you have a collection of 10 to 15 stories that are your go-to during interviews. Because so many times people will be like, tell me about a time when. And it's like, okay, pick in number seven. Tell me about a time when you did this. Pick in number three. And this way you're much more confident and you're much more, you're much quicker when we're calling an answer. Now I'm thinking I need to update my resume. Well, I'll update <laughs> it for you and I won't charge you anything. I hope you don't find a job because then I'd lose you, but it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm not looking, but I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking back now at like the resume I had when, um, well, at my first and last full-time job, you know, when I was, when I um, resigned from there and I was looking for another job, I'm thinking back to the resume I had and I'm like, I don't think I, I don't think I kind of met those, you know, three things that you're, that you mentioned. Because I kind of think that I probably did one of the things you said you shouldn't do, which is like, just put your job description basically instead of your accomplishments. (laughs) Yeah, most people put job descriptions. And look, here's the thing. A lot of resumes, most people don't do any of those three things. That's why they pay me money and that's why I get results. But even putting a little effort will go a long way. And I think it's important for us to know our own accomplishments. I think that's the more important exercise than ever putting it down on a piece of paper. Because I'll do the resume and people look at it and be like, wow, that's me. I actually did that. I bring a lot to the table. And it's really the confidence they get from a a resume that represents themselves accurately. That's much more important than the resume itself. So it takes a lot of self-awareness. I feel like from... From listening to a lot of the podcast until now, and this is actually one of the things that I am learning personally, I find that a lot of guests really talk about not just learning, but failing and how important failing is. Because you know, when you fail, you learn what not to do and then you know you, you redirect 
you go another direction or whatever. And so you learn to be as a result of like failing, learning, failing, learning, you know, and repeating the cycle, you become much more adaptable. And the reason you can become, the reason you do become more adaptable is because during that process, you're becoming more aware of yourself. You're becoming more aware of your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, that the way I tried may not have worked because it leaned on a skill that I'm not very good at. But if I try this other thing, which, you know, leans in, like with you and podcasting, you know, so blogging might not have been a good route for you, but you like talking to people since you were five. The teachers were always complaining about it. Now you're leaning into that. <laughs> now you're leaning into that. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting? I got to bring this up. School does not teach you how to fail. It does not teach you how to oh, tell me about failure. It. And it does not teach you how to embrace failure and look at it as a positive concept. And I think that's a big issue. 100% amen. <laughs> I get that. Because, um, you know, I was like the... I was I was a typical top model student. I did well in school. I was at the top of my class. But what I've learned over the past like three years has really it has really made me see how very scared I, <laughs> I am of failing. And then you know, so like I'm in I'm learning that I need to fail at things. I need to try things and fail at it so I can become aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not. And you know, use it to your advantage. And so I just look back at my schooling and I'm like, man, it just primed me to be a perfectionist. And it's not like my parents were the type that are like, oh, you have to be the best. You have to be the top student. My parents, my parents were like that. Really? My mom was just like, you know, I know what you're, um, I know what you're capable of. I don't need you to be the best student, but I just need you to do your best. So like there wasn't any pressure from my parents or my my mom especially because she was always so aware. Like that's one of the things. Another thing I learned from a young age was that people learn differently and they're more, um, some people are more inclined, you know, to academia. academia? Am I pronouncing that right? And you know, other people are more inclined to the trades. Like my dad, he built windows for like 20 something years like in the factory, build windows and stuff like that. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) You know, so there are some people that work better with their hands and some that don't. Anyway, I am straying from the topic, which was that my mom didn't really care. She just wanted us to do our best, you know. And so when I was in school now, that was another story. And it's not that my teachers pressured me, but it's more that because I did so well and they always... um. Like they always praised it, you know, they always praised the fact that I did so well. And and then I felt bad sometimes when they were like, see, y'all need to be like Hannah or something like that. Because I'm like, but that's not fair. To um, but yeah, so, so just having that, oh, you know, you're doing so well and, and them kind of like having that expectation. And I can't help it if if that's, if I can retain information, you know, I can't help it if, if I re- retain more information than other people or whatever. So I feel like being the top student, I feel like it's kind of silly and weird um, to say, but I feel like for me personally, this is my experience, being the top, I look back and I can see that being the top student for so long, it kind of primed me to be very afraid of failing. And then that also like affects you negatively. (laughs) as an adult in your career, as an entrepreneur, because you need to learn what not to do. And you're not going to learn that unless you feel a thing. Yeah, no, it's like perfectionism has held so many people back because here's the thing. There are very few things that are perfect. I would have never started this podcast if I needed a perfect podcast with the best sound and the best thing. I would have never started so many things. But the fact is, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need things to be perfect to have tremendous impact on the people around you. Right? Like I give a presentation to a high school group uh, earlier this week and it wasn't perfect. Right? It wasn't necessarily planned. I had some ideas. 
But those kids were so happy. You know, they thanked me. They shook my hands. And oh, you know, I had impact. And I got to craft an email after this to kind of send them some things. But it just kind of shows that don't worry about perfection because it only stops you. Just focus on doing your best, doing what you can. And for a lot of things, good enough is good. Except if you're building a bridge. You want to build a perfect bridge, not a good enough bridge. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, exactly. That doesn't apply in this situation. <laughs> in that yes. situation. So up until this point, what is one thing that you like, something that you haven't shared with the audience that you would have liked to share? I know I talk about this in my LinkedIn post, but I think before we had this prep, you kind of want to share. So, like, I have two things that affect my life. I have delayed sleep phase disorder, which means I'm a night owl. For So when I worked, I was late to work every day. If I showed up to work early, it, was, it must have been a special occasion or something like that. And it's it's tough. But if you need me to show up early afternoon, after 12 p.m., I'm good. You know, that's when I could show up. But before then, it's just like my brain doesn't function. It's a struggle, right? You need me to be somewhere at 2 a.m., I'm good. You know, but now if I have to go to sleep and be somewhere at 7 a.m., it's just not my strongest suit and I can't do that on a regular basis. So basically, my body doesn't produce the hormones necessarily for me to sleep earlier. And it's a struggle. I'm not as productive. So a lot of times, just regardless of what you have, figure out like there are environments that you work best in. There are times that you work best in. And it's okay if it's not the traditional time. It took me a long time to figure that out. And when I did, I became infinitely more productive. And I can tell you that I beat anyone at 2 a.m. At 6 a.m., I'm a little slow. But at 2 a.m., that's my time. That's my zone, right? That's when I have energies. That's why we're doing this podcast well into 1 a.m. And, you know, I'm going. I'm super energized. And I'm still got some work afterwards. The other thing that I have is I have hyperhidrosis. So I have excessive sweating. So if you ever see me sweating on a live show or something like that, I can't control it. I'm so sorry. And it's something that I grew up with. A lot of people don't know, especially in the virtual world. That's why I do like the virtual world, right? I can wipe my hands. I can be as sweaty as I want. You know, in the workplace, like shaking hands, sometimes got annoying. I even have these little towels on my thing to hand handkerchiefs and all that. And, you know, I just want to say that we all suffer from different things. Find the communities where you learn a lot. How I dealt with a lot of these issues. I went on Reddit. I checked the sleep apnea Reddit. I checked the DSPD Reddit. I checked the hyperhidrosis Reddit. And a lot of these communities were what I had, right? So regardless of what you have, there's a community for it. Find a supportive, you know, a supportive community because there are some toxic communities. Find a supportive community that will help you deal with these issues. And it's okay. And just realize that there is an environment for you. There's an environment that you can definitely succeed in. Find that environment. And just define success in your own terms. Everybody has a different definition of success. Don't live someone else's success. Live yours. I couldn't agree with you more. I have, okay, I think I have like two more questions. Go ahead. Uh, and, and we can, you know, start to wrap up. So you mentioned your parents are immigrants, right? Growing up in New York, you know, did you see, you know, your parents being treated differently because they were immigrants? Was, was that something that you saw, you know, growing up? What, what kind of work does your parent, do your parents do? My mom is a housewife. She like babysitted and did that stuff. And I used to babysit for $2 a day. Like she used to babysit a kid and then she would, I would babysit him for $2 a day. But I was young. I was like in the fourth grade or something. So it was different. My dad worked a lot of different jobs. I will say that I was very insulated my parents and that I didn't see a lot of these things. So I don't know. And a lot of immigrants have that mentality. Well, I still make more money. I still have a better life than what I did back home. So to them, this is normal. I have dealt with some issues with, you know, I live in New York City after September 11th. Uh, so you had some remarks here and there, but New York City is very diverse. So I didn't experience what a lot of people experience. Sometimes you look back and you're like, okay, this this doesn't make, you know, now things make a lot more sense. So I will say that it, it definitely affected their parenting and how they approach things. Like my parents are super strict, right? In their definition of success and all that stuff. And look, I know they did what they could. And, you know, I love my parents. I, you know, they, they tried their best, but I also disagree with my parents on a lot of things. And I don't necessarily take respect the advice they give. 
and I don't respect their definition of success. But you know, they grew up in a different time. You really can't do much. So yeah, so it's I have more that like relationship. It's more like you agree to disagree with them. Yeah. No. I very. Uh, yes. 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 Agree so, respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not respectfully, but oh well. <laughs> um, but you're yeah, still so, alive, so I think it's respectful. Yeah. Yeah. It's respectful enough, right? That I still get to live at home. Um, but yeah, they just went through different things. And, you know, they did, they worked really hard to sort of give me a good life. And, you know, my dad worked really hard. And I remember he used to come home very late at night. And my dad was a limo driver. My dad was a taxi driver. My dad was all of that. And he always did what he could for people. So I, you know, I, I, I got that from him. Uh, and yeah, they just did the best they could. And you learn that work ethic and I have yeah. no issue, you know, working really hard. And I understand like, look, that's a part of life. And hopefully one day I don't have to work as hard, but until then I'll be working a lot. The reason I asked you that is because although, although you went to college, you know, I think that your background and how you grew up influenced your awareness of the fact that, okay, people without college degrees uh, are at a disadvantage. You know, yeah. growing, growing up in a more diverse, non-traditional, not middle class, not rich, you have to get student yeah. loan um, background, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, made you more aware of these things. So I'm glad that's, you know, you went that direction. So my... The other question I have is, what is the mission and vision of No Degree? To remove the stigma attached to people without college degrees and to increase opportunities for those without degrees. And that's the simplest way I could say the mission, but there's a lot that goes into it. So I want to create opportunity by sharing resources. And I want to give away as much as I can for free because I know how it is. I know how hard it is to find things accessible for people. Some people just don't have the money. So I want to give away as much for free and, you know, make money off businesses, right? Make money off the, these other avenues. And I want to change the world. I want to eventually go to a place where it's the parents like, okay, it's okay if my, college, my kid does not have a college degree. And that's what I want it to be. So that one day it's normalized that, you know, people go to, if they, someone wants to go, go to college, good for them. That's their choice. But if someone doesn't want to go to college, good for them too. That both should be seen as equally valid ways to do well in life. I feel like I'm agreeing with you like on everything you're saying. But I genuinely agree to anyone listening, you know, and watching. I genuinely agree. Um, I remember growing up, one of the things my mom used to always say, she was like, you know, because like people like the, the, the garbage men, you know, and, and people that work at like with the city that clean the streets and stuff like that. Or people that, especially here in Belize, society at large tend to look down on them. You know, and I remember growing up, my mom used to be like, you know, still be respectful to those people, bid them the time of the day and all of that. She's like, can you imagine what would happen if all the garbage men quit? Imagine how everywhere would, you know, how it would smell. So she was like, not because he's not in an office, that doesn't mean that his job isn't less um, valuable towards society. And so that, that's something I became more aware of. I became aware of from a very young age. And, you know, what you said earlier just reminded me of that. Yeah. And you know one thing I want to add? So think about offices. They have to clean. And obviously there's regular cleaning that they have to do. But a lot of the cleaning is because these people without college degrees are dirty and they don't clean after themselves and they don't maintain it. So I blame the people with college degrees. Oh, the, the people with college degrees are dirty. So yeah. the people without college degrees have to come in and clean yeah, up after to, them. Think about it. If they were more clean and that stuff, you wouldn't need as many people, right? If they picked mm -hmm. up after themselves, they wouldn't need it, right? So yeah. I blame the people without, right? right? They don't put their carts back <laughs> in the supermarket too. So that's another thing they don't do. So how would people get in contact with you? What services do you at the moment provide for, you know, to help your no degree community and how can people get in touch with you? So we're going to eventually come out with the resume course. So, and that'll cover everything 
from the resumes to the job search, LinkedIn optimization and all that. Uh, you could contact us through nodegree.com. You could send me a connection on LinkedIn. We'll give those URLs. Please let me know that you listen to the podcast because I get a lot of requests and I'm like, I wonder who they are. And I've had a lot of connections who just want to increase their numbers. But no, I want an active community and I want someone who I can support in their journey. Listen to the podcast. I mean, you're probably already listening if you're listening to this podcast, but share the podcast with others and all that. So that's generally where you can find us. Follow us on TikTok, Twitter. I'm trying to get myself out there more. I appreciate all of your support. We'll share all the links. But And there's a Discord community that we're trying to grow. So feel free to uh, join that too. And did I forget anything, Hannah? Because you know more than me. <laughs> um, not that I can think of at the moment. Um, we can probably put a link in the description for like people to join a wait list or something for the resume course for when that comes out and we can, you know, send them an email and let them know that it's out. Yeah, that'll be fun. So I think this is it. Thanks for listening. This has been the No Degree Podcast. See you next time. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.